You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. I'm Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman of The Athletic Philadelphia on the latest edition of Sixers Beat, uh, part of the CLNS Media Network. If you're listening to this podcast and you have no idea how you got here, head on over to SixersBeat.com. Hit that subscribe button as this should be an exciting and eventful season coming up. And we are, of course, the only Sixers podcast with hosts who actually cover the team. And while you're there, if you can, please leave us a rating or review. Particularly on iTunes, uh, we do greatly appreciate that. Hey, Rich, how you doing? Not too bad, Derek. We're almost we're almost there. Almost there. We had tiny little drips and drabs of, of news this week, mostly on the hiring of uh, another guy on the medical side of things, which, you know, I'm sure Dr. Medina is qualified. Like, clearly he has two master's degree. He has a, you know, he has a PhD, and he worked for SC Barcelona. So I think the qualification is there. Hopefully that fixes some of the issues the team had last year. But other than that, you know, we're a week away from training camp. We're two weeks away then from preseason and about, what, I guess about three, a little more than three weeks away from the regular season starting. So we're getting there. We're getting there very slowly. I guess I guess four weeks away from the regular season. We're getting there very slowly. So we figured rather than try to force out a 40-minute podcast about a, a medical professional that I've never heard about before uh, <laughs> before this week, we'd open up the uh, the questions to the audience, have a mailbag edition. So we will pretty much jump right into that unless you have something else you want to bring up. No, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't think there was much on the news front this week except uh, – I mean, it, it, some some of the players were even calling it fake news. The uh, the rankings from Sports Illustrated and ESPN, yeah, yeah, with uh, Robert Covington getting some love, which was which was cool to see for sure. But yeah, there there's nothing you know substantive going on right now. Yeah, look, and NBA rankings are a little bit controversial. Player rankings, I guess, what, what I would say, a little bit controversial. Um, I think in a vacuum, as just a fun little exercise, they're fine. You know, I think people take them way too seriously. I think uh, certainly players looking at them is, is something that if you're a professional basketball player, I wouldn't care too much what SI or ESPN ranks you. Um, I know Lavoy a couple of years ago had the Mr. 500 Twitter handle. That was humorous. But it uh, it does surprise me how much how much people obsess over this, fans and players alike. It doesn't matter. It's pointless. It's worthless. It's off-season fun to try to lead you into the season, and that is all that it is. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically what what we're doing. We're we're there ESPN and Sports Illustrated are trying to find a way to talk about basketball when there's nothing going fill on. Fill time, man. We got ad slots to fill and uh and we got to do something. In that vein, please st- stay around listen uh, to this podcast. I assure you it gets better from here. <laughs> uh all right. Let's jump right in the mailbag. I got a a decent amount and these are great because I think you and I when we do a podcast, we tend to focus on what what new information do we have? And you know what? Uh, you know what's changed? How do we react to what's going on? I think this lets us kind of take a step back and look at some of the bigger picture items that we may have talked about months ago or glossed over or just don't really focus on. So we'll start off with uh, Philly trivia at Philly trivia, and probably the easiest question, or at least the one that should, uh, you know, it should be the most on top of our head. What's your best guess? What's your best guess at the nine-man rotation next year? All right, let's let's talk our way through this. So obviously, Joel Embiid, center, uh, Ben Simmons, 
starting power forward. Robert Has to be Covington. cleared for five on five before he can be a starting center. <laughs> okay, let's assume that he does. I mean, he's tweeting out pictures of the jerseys and everything. So let's let's assume he makes it to to opening night in one piece. Uh, then Robert Covington at small forward, JJ Redick, and then Mark Fultz. So that's your starting lineup. Yep. Okay. So as far as the bench is concerned, obviously Dario Saric is going to play. He's going to play a lot. I'm not exactly sure where and and who with, but but he'll play. Uh, I would have Rashawn Holmes as my backup uh, center to to Joel. And then that's where it gets interesting, right? Because then then you have all of this wing depth. You have guys like Luau and Stauskas and, and even Korkmaz. And and then you have the, the interesting uh, point guard battle between Jared Bayless and, and TJ McConnell. I would imagine just, just because they signed him to such a big contract – and the fact that his skill set, let's just, let's say it could mesh with Simmons well, I would imagine Jared Bayless would be like an eighth or ninth man. And then it would be, you know, it, you'd have to pick between those guys. I'm going to say Stauskas right now, but but I, I'm not married to that. And then I think the interesting question there is what happens to T.J. McConnell? Does he not play? Yeah. No, that's, a, that's probably, like you said, Rashawn, Dario, those are no-brainers. The TJ Bayless, we'll call it a battle, a quote-unquote battle, is probably the most interesting to me because, look, I've been as big of a TJ fan, you know, as you possibly could be for an undrafted player who came in on a non-guaranteed contract. Like, he struck me right away as somebody who has a role in this league. But whether or not you're going to make him the first point guard off the bench when he does have that question in his shot, both in extending at the three-point range and the speed of it and whether or not he can actually space the floor, and you do have a guy like Bayless who conceptually fits that mold that you want to play with alongside Ben Simmons. I do think ultimately, like you said, they owe him $9 million this year. They owe him $8.6 million next year. They committed to him financially. They did that because they believe he can fit next to Ben Simmons. And, oh, by the way, there is a world where maybe they look at that and they say, okay, look, Bayless's role isn't going to be what we thought when we signed him. We didn't envision getting the number one pick and getting the future at that position when we made that, that decision last summer. And maybe we need that $8.6 million off of our books to go out and get maximum salary cap space. Um, there are some decisions that could get you you know, f- there without doing that, but if you ex- extend Embiid or extend Covington right now, it could get a little more difficult. So they might want to showcase him, give him playing time in the event that they might not figure they might not need him and they need that cap space next summer more. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Bayless is going to get that nod as that first point card. So then it comes down to which wing. And you have TLC. You know, you have Justin Anderson as well. Um, yep. Stauskas. Uh, you have a lot of options right there. If I thought it was just Brett Brown and who he thought could help them win right now, it might end up being Justin Anderson. I'm not a huge fan of Justin Anderson's game, but I know how much Brett Brown prioritizes defense. But I think when you combine everything – in terms of what they can bring now and what they can bring in terms of development, I think they still have a focus towards development. And it's not just going to be which player is going to give you the best option to win right now. I think it might end up being TLC. And I think he might end up being maybe the least impactful player of that group right off the bench or right right off the bat. But I think he might end up getting a spot in the rotation because I don't think they want to necessarily bury him because they do have him as part of their future. Yeah, no, no arguments there. And then, as, as far as TJ is concerned, it just it doesn't it feel just like a little weird not putting him in there. Just because it does. Of, he's it, earned it. 
He's it feels it. like he's earned it. And, I mean, God, we were at the coaching clinic the other night, and, you know, Brett was, was joking with him that uh, a few of the players, I think it was Covington and Ja and Rashawn and TJ, were, were helping out Brett with his coaching clinic. And Brett made the joke that TJ McConnell, fresh off his wedding, like, he has become, like, a part of their culture. And he is a very valued teammate. He was – you could just tell. Like, all, all of his teammates like him. And, yeah, it, it feels a little weird not having him in the rotation. But guess what? He's going to have a chance. Like, if if he completely outplays Jared Bayless, I, I, I could easily see him getting the time. But Oh, for sure. But it's just that his skill set doesn't quite fit with Benz, and that's going to be interesting to see. He needs that shot in the worst way. He really does. All right, we have uh, we have many more mailbag questions to get to, but before we do, a quick word from our sponsor, FanDuel. Are you like me sitting at home watching football every Sunday and cursing the fantasy team you drafted? Do you have high draft picks already on IR? Are you going to spend the next two months trying to fix some mistakes you made before the season even started? It doesn't have to be that way. Come play FanDuel instead, where new contests start each week and there are no busted seasons. There's something for everyone with FanDuel, with lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. Pick a contest, choose your team, and watch the scores in real time. It's worked for over 2.5 million players who have already won money playing FanDuel, and you should be next. Try FanDuel for free with no deposit required. Head on over to FanDuel.com to claim your free contest and play for a share of $10,000. Just sign up using promo code SIXERSBEAT. That's FanDuel.com, promo code SIXERSBEAT. Void where prohibited. All right, back to the mailbag. Uh, we have sort of a similar question from Sean Carroll. That's at scarroll13 on Twitter. The five-man lineup you're most interested in seeing this season. And for me, it's it's real simple. It's it's a starting lineup. Yeah, I I, I don't think I think the 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 uh, the obvious answer is is the right one here to see um to see these young guys play with Covington and Embiid. In particular, like I, I just think, like the the shooting you're going to get from Redick, that that's going to allow these guys to play well offensively, and then the defense you're going to get from Covington and JoJo, like I think that has a chance to be better than people think right off the bat. We, we'll see. I mean, any any lineup with JoJo is going to be pretty impactful right away. I, I think there's a chance that, that there's not going to be the rookie learning curve when those guys play together. But obviously, you know, Ben and Markel sharing the point guard duties, that's going to be something to watch for. And, yeah, I, I just think, like, the shooting that Redick brings is going to open up the rest of these guys' offensive games. So I, that's the one I'm most excited to see. Uh, and I guess throw in Dario in there. I'd like to see Dario and Ben play together, any five-man rotation, just because I'm curious to see what that looks like. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think the the starting lineup that we laid out has the best combination of skill sets. It has the defense in Covington and in Embiid. It has shot creators in Fultz and in Simmons. And has four guys on that team who can conceptually at least shoot to surround Ben Simmons with, which is what you really want. Yep. I think that team has the best chance of being both entertaining and effective on both sides of the court. And like you said, throw in Dario because he is, A, an important part of the future, B, exciting as hell to watch, and... I mean, that's, I don't, not sure I really have a C. I think those two are enough right there. Uh, so throw him into some lineup combinations too, and I think those are the best, best sets. All right, from uh, Hinky's last laugh at Hinky last laugh. Again, sort of related to the lineup questions. Who runs the second team point guard spot now? Before we, we kind of already answered that, there's a, a twist to it. Do you bring Bayless off the bench early to play him with Simmons and let Fultz 
lead the second unit, basically sub Fultz out earlier than you would to then bring him back and kind of run that second group. That actually sounds good with me. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll see how all of these guys mesh together, but the idea of letting Markel sort of play, uh, have his own time to run the unit, uh, to run the team, I, that's something that that might help his development right away. Like, uh, you know, and, and just have give him the keys and say, "Hey, look, Ben, Ben's not here, and you're not gonna have to worry about that." Um, yeah, I, I I think that that sounds like a decent strategy to me right away. But obviously, you want the two young guys playing together because those are your core pieces long term. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to stagger. You, you want to get Markel about equal minutes with Simmons and to be able to run the unit himself. I certainly don't think you want to have Markel on the floor 100% of the time with Simmons and act as a, you know, 100% of the time as a an off-ball secondary playmaker because I do think you want to really grow that pick-and-roll skill of his, and I especially want to see that with Joel Embiid. And that kind of brings me to my only hesitation with that question. I kind of assume that, that, ben, that Joel Embiid is going to be subbed out early. He's going to have, you know, six four or five minute runs in a game, kind of like he did last year, especially to start the season. So to sub Markel out and then bring Embiid back, I'm not sure I see that happening in that six-minute window. So I'm not sure you're going to get a whole lot of time with in that, that kind of, at least to start the game and to start the third quarter. I'm not sure you're going to get a whole lot of time with Fultz and with Embiid, but without Simmons. And I would like to see some of that as well. So that's my only real hesitation, but I do kind of like where your head is at in terms of, you know, stagger their minutes and let, let Markel lead the, you know, lead the team in, and initiate with the team some as well. I think that's certainly something that you want to uh, you want to do when you can. Yeah, and, and planning for the long term. Obviously, the Sixers don't have the concerns that some of the contenders have, but, I mean, it's been proven that staggering your best players, it, it, that, that's been, you know, Scott Brooks didn't figure that out forever in Oklahoma City. That you need to have one of your best players on the floor at the whole time. Uh, the whole time. So, to uh, to start with that practice earlier in their careers, yeah, I don't think would be a bad thing. Yeah. All right. We have from Philip at Philly Land. Who besides the big names could have a real impact on the Sixers next year? So I guess we have to define big names first. You know, we'll basically say the top six, the starting lineup, and Dario. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I think we could just go to our next, you know, basically our rotation question and just just work our way down there. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, good player, like definitely uh, has earned the the backup center minutes. Bouncy. Uh, I'm interested to see him run the pick and roll with Markel Fultz too. Obviously, you'd rather have JoJo because that's the more uh, foundational piece for sure. But he's proven to be. I think one of the 30 best centers. Like, I think Rashawn could start for four or five teams. So, you know, if, if he can continue to improve, continue to refine that jump shot, even as ugly as it looks, um, I, I would say he would be the next guy. His jump shot really is. It's a, it's a great question of if it goes in, do you try to change it? Because right now I think he's just effective enough where you don't. But, man, does that, does that make my head hurt every time he shoots it? It's a, not a pretty shot. He was tossing up some bricks at that uh, <laughs> coaching clinic the other night. <laughs> I will say, Justin Anderson, he uh, he was making him out a good clip, which would be huge. That's the one thing he's never really done in his career outside of that junior season at UVA. If you could if you could make a shot, it becomes a lot more playable. And I'll say this about Justin Anderson. I um, 
I'm not as high. Like like you said, I'm not as high on him as maybe the Sixers are when they, when they traded him for Noel. But he played pretty well kind of under the radar last year. And obviously a lot of those games were blowouts and a lot of April and, and, May ba- and March basketball that wasn't particularly meaningful for either side in most of those games. But I thought he played pretty well. If he can continue to to build on that shot and defend at a high level, I think like – you know, he's not like a, a potential star, but but there's a chance he could carve out a, a pretty decent role in the league. Yeah, no, I mean, when you have that kind of defensive ability and you can, you know, really force turnovers and defend that the, that amount of positions, all he really needs, he doesn't need to ever be a great slasher. He doesn't need to be a great ball handler or shot creator. He needs to make a shot, and he needs to not be a negative on offense. And to do that, he has to space the floor. And do I have a lot of confidence in him getting there? I'm not really sure about that. But if he can, and if, you know, that one day, which is the worst sample size ever, but if that one day that we saw him play when they were giving the coach to clinic is any indication, and I'm not sure his shot functionally looks any different, so I think I'm a little less willing to buy that he's a drastically improved shooter. But if that is the case, then he becomes becomes a lot more playable. Uh, going back to um, Going back to Rashawn and the pick and roll, he might right now be a better pick-and-roll threat than Joel Embiid. And I think it's real easy to say, you know, Joel is going to grow into that, and I think he will. I mean, he's 7'2", strong, coordinated, athletic, a lot of touch. You put him in, you know, 100, 200, 300 pick-and-rolls this year, he's going to become a real threat in that. But last year, Rashawn, he averaged 1.22 points per possession on a pick-and-roll, shot 60% on those attempts. And that was nearly a quarter of his offense, so it's not like it was a low, uh, you know, a low usage play type for him. That's what he did offensively, and he just has so much athleticism and so much quickness out of that uh, out of that break that he is a he is a real threat. And if he can ever make that jump shot consistently, then yeah, I think he's going to be a great option. He's going to be a huge spark off the bench. He's gives you a lot that you want, which kind of brings us into the next question from Captain Obvious uh, at Oh Captain My Obvious. Uh, great reference there as well. What's your expectations for your for Rashawn, and can he be a quality team defender? Because that's really, as much as we talked about his offense and his jump shot, that's the real question mark. Yeah, I mean, that, that question hit the nail right in the head in terms of where he can improve as a player. They, uh, yeah, as, as far as his pick-and-roll game, I, I do think he's better than Embiid right now. And just the way you can tell that is just Rashawn is just quicker off the floor than JoJo is right now. Yeah. He is, like, super bouncy, and JoJo is, for all of his talents, he takes a little bit longer to load up and and throw one down on people. And Rashawn is, you know, he's, he's quick off the floor. As far as the quality team defender stuff, that, like, Brett Brown gets on him about that a lot. Like, that, there, there were nights over the last couple years where he received questions after the game, like, wow, Rashawn's playing really well, you know, a game where Rashawn would score 12 points, shooting six for six. And Brett would be very quick to point out, well, like, he's he's going to have to learn the other end of the floor, too. And, you know, it, it, it's it's a weird thing with him. Like, Rashawn, he's clearly bought in to the defense. He's clearly, like, like TJ, he's a very, um, you know, he's a valued member of the locker room. Everybody likes him. He's a humble kid. It, it's just that he's got to stop going for every single block shot that you can get. Like, he needs to learn verticality. 
and he has to figure it out. But he has all the tools, man. Like, he's quick enough to guard the pick and roll. Um, he should be a better rebounder. He improved on that last year. I got on him that a lot last offseason. So, yeah, I think he can be a quality defender, especially in terms of a backup big. Like, can he get to that level? Yeah, but he's going to have to prove it. Yeah, he is. He's a tough case because you look at him, 6'10", all the athleticism in the world. And, yeah, you see that a lot, but then you also see the effort and the fact that he gives a shit defensively, and that's a, a really big part of it. He's just all the little, you know, if, if the NBA is a game of positioning and leverage, he seems like he misses all of those. And when I went back, I, I wrote a, a thing about Embiid's defense and why he does a lot of the little the little things that you don't see. And I went to compare him against someone, and I didn't want to compare him against Okafor because we've, you know, that topic has been broached enough. But you you start watching and zeroing in on Rashawn, and he's out of position a lot. And it's not just chasing blocks, but little things. Like, he'll be leaning the wrong way, and the point guard will see that, and they'll make a cutoff of him. Or he'll miss a rotation, or he'll be, he'll be hesitant in a step and not know which way to go. It's just all these little things that, yeah, he's really athletic, but the NBA, you need more than that. You need to be in the right spot, too, where that athleticism's not really going to matter. And, you know, I think it's – you look at him – and he's, what is he, maybe 22 now? Yeah, no, 23. He's actually about to turn 24. Still young. Still young enough where he can, you know, really pick up his, his recognition and his awareness on that side of the court. And, you know, that jump, you're not you're not at Bowling Green anymore. So maybe he had a little tougher of a jump and an adjustment than others because he could have, you know, in, in the MAC, he could have used his athleticism to recover a lot easier than he can at this level. So I think it's you can have some optimism because he is athletic and he does give a shit. But figuring out which guys can, you know, make that that jump in terms of awareness, it's always very difficult. And maybe he doesn't have to make. You know, I think part of my problem with Okafor is not only that he his awareness is on the low end of of what you would want, but also that if he's ever going to be a good defender because of his athleticism and the way he struggles changing direction, he has to not be an average awareness guy. He needs to be a, a plus-plus awareness guy, a Marcus Gasol type guy. Rashawn Holmes to be a good, a, a good enough team defender doesn't have to be you know, a great awareness guy. He just needs to be average, and I think that's an easier projection to make. Well, and the fact, like you said, that he gives a shit, it, it makes you wonder if he's ever – Is this a que- it's not a question of effort. It's just can right. he do it, and and that's, that's where you get worried with that, but – yeah, I mean, Rashawn, it, I, you do wonder, too, when he makes the highlight block, if, you know, the, the Sixers coaches are really drilling into him, like, hey, like, you missed the pick-and-roll rotation three times before that, and everybody is focusing on your amazing block, but can, can you can you figure that out a little bit, that half-step over that, that you're not making at this point? And I guess we'll see on that front. Yeah. All right, this one from uh, Dan Yeager at the SK4, replace a starter on this year's team, and we're going to go with the starting lineup that we laid out at the beginning, with a player that played for Hinky, and you can't swap Covington for himself. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know that you can. I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's anyone on the team that would qualify. Dan, that, that is a good question, but I guess the, the, the problem with the players who played for Hinky, they were um, tanking players. <laughs> yeah. so, well, uh, you know, I read this, and I didn't know if that was <laughs> meant to be a, a subtle dig at Hinky. 
And I think it might have been, but I think if there was a player on those squads that could start for this team, then Hinky would have not been doing his job correctly. Like that would have been against what he was trying to do. His goal was to get the cap space and get the draft picks to build this team. And having guys who could start over Fultz or Reddick or Covington, Simmons or Embiid would kind of defeat the purpose of that. Yeah, I just went up and down the roster. I don't, I don't think there's anyone who has a chance, quite frankly. I think if you're, if you're going to pick somebody, it would be point guard because I think there's going to be, an, not in terms of upside or talent for sure, but I think there might that, that's where somebody might have a, the biggest gap in what they are now versus what they will become might be that point guard spot. But, but that's also are? historically been the weakness of the team, perhaps yeah. by design under the Hanky era. Yeah, I mean, does Thaddeus Young count? He played. He, he, play, he played for Hanky. I, I don't think he's going to be better than I – th- I think Simmons will be better than him day one. Oh, yeah, but if you're just telling me I have to sub somebody in there, then yeah. Thad would be somebody, maybe Luke and Bob Mute. And basically, I would have those guys play, and then 30 seconds, like after the first uh, whistle, I would sub Ben into the game. <laughs> basically, that, that I think that's how I'd go about it. Drew would Drew would probably have the best argument, but he was traded before ever playing a game for Hinky. So yeah, no, he doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think there is a player. Um, Spencer Hawes for for Embiid. Oh no. God, no, no. Um, all right, uh, moving on to. Toggles by 27. Uh, what game do the Sixers pick up their 29th win of the season? Well, considering the vast amount of show prep we did, I don't have the schedule in front of me. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I think in general, I think they're probably going to win in between 35 and 39 games. So, you know, do the math on that. I'd say probably mid-March, late March. Somewhere in there? Yeah, I'd say somewhere around their 62nd game of the season. You know, somewhere around there. I think they're probably going to build up to right around a 500 record, but I think they're probably going to start off slow and finish strong. So it's not going to be mid-season, but, you know, a little bit later than that. Um, All right, let me pause for a moment to talk to you about fashion. Over the summer, I got caught wearing Air Monarchs and cargo shorts at a radio appearance, and I still haven't lived that one down. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're like me, shopping for clothes probably isn't among your favorite activities in the world. If so, the wonderful people at Bombfell are here to help. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You start off by filling out a simple questionnaire to tell them about yourself, your measurements, and your preferences, and you're then matched up with a dedicated personal stylist. They'll put together a preview order for you, giving you a 48-hour window to change anything you don't like. They then ship the clothes directly to your door. You try it on, return what you don't like, and only pay for what you keep, with free shipping both ways. I recently started using Bombfell and was immediately impressed with how attentive the personal stylist is. They listened to my feedback right from the jump, happily took back any clothes that I wanted to return, and immediately improved thanks to my feedback and by virtue of having a dedicated stylist. I'm now a couple of orders in and the clothes are spot on, both in terms of fit and style, and are delivered directly to your door. If they can make me look good, imagine what they could do for you. I've been so happy with Bombfell that I negotiated a special offer exclusive for Sixers Beat listeners. For $25 off your first purchase, head on over to bombfell.com slash sixersbeat. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash sixersbeat. Bombfell, open and close. All right, moving on to the next mailbag question from Maurice at PhillyReese215. Why can't the Sixers trade Okafor, and who gets the extension first, Embiid or Covington? 
Well, I mean, the, the Oak Four question, why can't they trade him? It's just nobody wants him. Nobody wants him, and he plays a position around the league that is becoming less and less valuable because everybody has a center, and everybody has a center, frankly, that's better than Julia Okafor. As far as the uh, extensions go, I, I know you wrote about about JoJo over the at the Athletic for the uh, you know the, the big question before the season, and also Covington as well. I, I would imagine Covington gets it first. Because I, I would imagine that the Sixers and JoJo, just, just guessing that, that they're too far apart, the Sixers would want some sort of discount or non-guaranteed contract or, or whatever to hand JoJo an extension before the season starts. So they have the option to just make him, you know, be restricted at the end of the year and they can they can see how he plays. And I, I know whether or not that'll ruffle his camp's feathers, you know, you got to deal with it. You've played 30 games. Like, it's, at some point, we're not going to just hand out a max contract to you. As far as Covenant's concerned, it seems like November is the target date for that, and I would imagine he gets it at some point there. So, him. Yeah, I mean, that question, the Covington Embiid extension question, pretty much comes down to do you think the Sixers will extend Embiid before the season? Uh, because the, the deadline for Embiid is October 16th, and the first day they can give Covington a renegotiation is November 15th. So if they plan on extending Embiid before he becomes a restricted free agent, that, by definition, has to happen before Covington's can. I think it's going to be interesting. I do think there's a lot of, you know, I I could see either side, you know, really um, buckling a little bit when that deadline gets closer, whether that's Embiid camp trying to get some you know, a hefty guarantee, or whether that's the Sixers camp thinking they can get a, um, you know, a Steph Curry-like deal. But I think I would put that at a less than 50% chance. So I'm going to go with Covington getting his extension on November 15th, and I would be surprised if that didn't happen. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened on November 15th, the first day he would be eligible for it. Um, he might He might ask for more money, man. He's the 55th best player in the league. Oh, I mean, he might look. I'm, um, I'm confident the Sixers are interested. I'm confident that Covington is interested. There is, of course, a world where those two just those two sides just can't can't find a common ground. I'm certainly not saying that I think that they have a deal ironed out right now, but I I, I think there's enough interest and enough incentive on both sides to get that done. I'm going to go with Covington, and that they end up giving Embiid a new contract next summer. That's, that's and going back to Okafor, it's like you said. There's just there's not the demand for him. I mean, there was every if you if you break a, a year down the three month intervals, every three month interval, Okafor has less and less value. From the time he was drafted third overall to now, every three months his value has dropped. And I think this is a decision that had to be made. Really, it should have been made at the uh, the trade deadline of his rookie season. It's certainly a situation he shouldn't have gone into last season having all four centers on the roster. I don't. I still. To this day, I have no idea how they thought that they could increase trade value by having them play so sporadically and by having them all get pissed off. And now having, you know, even more question marks and playing so poorly last year and, and fighting through health problems all last year, his value is at an all-time low. I think the big question to me isn't whether or not he gets traded. It's whether or not they pick up that fourth-year option. That uh, that will be, and that's, that's the end of October, so we still have a little bit of time before they have to announce that, but that will be the most interesting question to me. And, and as you wrote about the, and, you know, that might not seem like a big deal picking up that option, but in terms when you're looking 
to next summer in terms of maybe carving out max space, that that's not nothing. And yeah. th- that could be the difference between basically having space to have a 30% or 25% guy or not having full max space. Yeah, and I don't think people really realize. I, th- I think there's a lot of, well, just don't don't give him be an extension now and then sign him after signing a free agent. He's got an $18.3 million cap hold for next summer, even if he's left unsigned, even if he's a restricted free agent. So the Sixers, yeah, they're still going to have max space, or they're still going to at least have 25% max space. But if you want to start you know, really luring in these 35% max guys, and we're talking about a max salary starting at $36, $37 million, you're going to have to make some decisions. This isn't, this isn't you know, 2008 when a max contract was $13 million or whatever it was. Um, all right, uh, moving on. From Joshua Kaiser at Kaiser Boat, how long do you think it takes this team to figure it out? For example, last year they figured it out in January. Well, I mean, looking at the team's schedule, January might be the time again, just because in the beginning is hard, man. Like they got a West Coast road trip right off the, or not right off the bat, but a couple weeks in in November. You know, they they got to play the Rockets early on, and and just in general, like like we've talked about for a while, like. Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz are going to make a lot of mistakes, and, and they're going to have games where Ben's going to have a game where he shoots three of thirteen, and Markel's going to have a game where he turns the ball over six times and he has zero assists. Like that—that's going to happen at some point. Um, as far as the, as far as that goes, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just because they are bringing in JJ, who is a new piece but also is a really good fit. So, like, you would imagine that as good of a, you know, as new as he is, like, they know how to use him. I would say probably, eh, you know, I, I'd i honestly probably shoot for January 3rd when they come home. They play the uh, play the Spurs that night, and then there's a lot of home games in in Jan- or in uh, in February and January. Like, I, I would imagine it would be around the same time. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it, you have two rookies who are primary initiators. That's a recipe for disaster out of the game. That always has been. That probably always will be. On the other hand, the Sixers are, you know, most of the time when you bring in a rookie initiator who you think is going to be one of your top options offensively in the NBA as well, you do that on a team that's really bereft of talent. And the Sixers, for all that they've gone through the last three years, they have three guys in that starting lineup who you really can count on to some degree in Reddick, in Covington, and in Embiid. Yeah. So in theory, while Ben Simmons is a primary initiator and Markel Fultz has been throughout his career a primary initiator, they should have less on their plate than most rookies stepping into that role. On the other hand, they've got a brutal freaking schedule out of the gate, and they are still rookies getting their first taste of NBA action. I do think they're going to struggle quite a bit at the beginning of the season. December is theoretically, you know, the schedule gets a lot easier in December. Yep. That might be a little too soon to turn it around completely. And I think January, it gets a little bit harder before easing up again. I'm going to say mid-January. I think mid-January is when they finally start looking like the team that I think we all expect them to. I do worry a little bit about fans getting frustrated if they struggle out of the gate like I think we both kind of expect them to. But I do think they will kick it on later in the season, maybe a, a, a touch later than they did last year. But it could also, I mean, it, it, it 
really it could be anywhere from mid-December to mid-January. But I do think they will turn it around and start playing better. And, and, and I should qualify everything I said to acknowledge the fact that I'm prepared for anything with Joel Embiid. Yep. Like, <laughs> if that guy it comes down to the same question we always ask ourselves, how many games are we getting from him? And if he's healthy, I'm prepared for any level of basketball from him. Like, he, I, I'm done being surprised by how good he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember last year at this time when we're like, oh, man, he's going to have some games where he just looks awful and the game's too quick for him and he has a lot of turnovers and he's fouling out in 15 minutes. And no, never He happened. came out and he was an all-star right from the gate, right <laughs> off the jump. I've never seen anything like that. In a, well, not anything, but, like, there's very, there are very few LeBron James, and he was playing at an absurd level for a rookie. It, uh, I mean, he could end up being a top ten player this year. I, I can't tell you that won't happen. I don't think he's going to get play enough games to be thought of like that. But when he's on the court, he could play like a top ten player this year. And I make these comments, and I, I find myself doing it more and more uh, as we get into the season, where I hear myself, and that sounds completely, utterly absurd. But it really isn't. Like I don't, I don't think he's he, he could be a special player. He's, and if so, this team could. I mean. If Embiid's a top ten player and you have Reddick and you have Covington, this team oh, could be real good. You know, real quick. Good right away. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not saying that's that's impossible. And for everything we said about Fultz and Simmons struggling, Embiid is that good where those things could happen and it still won't matter in terms yep. of wins and losses. They still could be a pretty good team right away. He's that good. God, I need the season to get here. I need real basketball. Especially now with uh, with uh, Eurobasket, especially as Sixers players winding down, it, I need a I need basketball back. I need NBA basketball. All right, uh, from Brian Kutza at Brian underscore Kutza, which team in the Eastern Conference with a similar talent level will give the Sixers the most trouble due to roster composition? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I like that question. I do like that question. So, so who I, I guess. First, we'd have to say who who has a similar talent level. Right. So we're, we're not talking about Cleveland. We're not talking about Boston. Boston. I would say we're not talking about Toronto or Washington. Washington. Yeah. And then I um, think everybody else is probably fair game. Yeah, I would say. I mean, there might be some teams who you would project to have like a better think, record. Like I think I think Milwaukee. You could probably safely say. Yep. Well, I, again, unless Joel, I, I can't I can't project anything. Uh, but I think you you put Milwaukee in that group. Um, not, not, I'm sorry, in that group of a similar talent level, at least where it's within a, a, a stone's throw away. So, and then on the other end, I would say let's knock down Chicago, Atlanta, <laughs> yeah. Indiana, Brooklyn. And then that's, you know, probably the Knicks too, but... By the I way, guess. you going through that is exactly why the Sixers actually do have a chance of making the playoffs this year. Those oh. teams suck. They suck. That's why when everybody asks the question, it's like, well, okay, part of it is whether Embiid can stay healthy and how the Sixers play. Part of it is, like, the teams that they're going to be playing all the time are terrible. Yeah, it's a, it's a process of elimination real quickly. Um. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, basically, I think that would limit us to Miami, uh, Charlotte, Detroit, and Milwaukee. Um, as far as that goes, like, the Sixers played pretty well against Milwaukee last year yeah. uh, with JoJo and without him. So let, let's throw them away anyway because I think it's the other teams are, are more who they're going to be battling for playoff position. Uh, you know, they, they have a great 
track record against Dan Van Gundy, even as he complained about tanking. Uh, <laughs> I, like, like, okay, so I, I guess the, the way let, let's take this question this way. Um, what do you think the Sixers' weakness is going to be in terms of like what type of players or schemes do you think are going to give them the most trouble? So, where my head initially went was with a big guy who could who, who could body up and beat. And I initially went to Whiteside and Drummond. But then I remember, man, Embiid destroyed Whiteside last year. Like, he destroyed him. And Whiteside got his points and rebounds, too. But Embiid was a monster that game. And I think there could be a, a game or two where, where Whiteside will, will, will get the best of him. Like, he, he's that kind of offensive rebounder where he's going to really, you know, Joel's going to have to really be smart about his rotations. But then I kind of went to, okay, well, which team can put enough pressure on Simmons defensively and really force him to be engaged on that side of the court and pick apart when he lapses? And I think Milwaukee's interesting in that regard because I mean, clearly Giannis is going gonna, is gonna to initiate quite a bit for them. You're not going to ask somebody like Fultz to defend him. You might end up putting Simmons on him because he's the one most physically capable, although you're going to put Roko on him a bunch too. But I think Milwaukee has enough initiators and enough size and enough shooting where I think they could be interesting. And I think having, if there are situations, you know, whether it's, you know, 20% of the game, 30% of the game, I don't know. But where Simmons has to try to defend Giannis, then I think that could get out of hand quickly. Not out of hand score-wise, but where, where Simmons could struggle with that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say Miami just because... In terms of Simmons, they they have guys that can space the floor in James Johnson and Olenek. And as far as Fultz is concerned, like Goran Dragic is a handful to guard. So I guess that, I mean, that would be the team. If those last 50 or so games from last year for Miami are an indication and not just a, a really extended hot stretch, then they might end up being in that, that next tier up anyway. Like they could end up winning 45, 47 games this year. In part because everybody else in the East freaking sucks. Yeah, they, they had a weird off. I didn't like a lot of their long-term signings kind of locking up that core, but in yeah. terms of this season, like we've been saying, like the East is terrible, so they're the bottom half of the East specifically is bad. So, yeah, I would imagine them to maybe not quite, you know, pick up that level that they, they finished with last season, but, you know, I think they're they're a pretty easy playoff team. Yep. All right, from, uh, from Heath Feynman at Heath Feynman, who are your guys' least and most favorite non-Sixers players? Oh, great question. Question so, I'm probably going to need to spend a little more time thinking about. Like, whoever I come up with now probably won't be who I'd come up with in an hour. Which, okay. yay on show prep. Um, so, initially, when this gets brought up, uh, it's funny because when I, when I watch the NBA with my friends, they absolutely despise Chris Paul because he whines and he's dirty and... He slows the game down. And I'm the opposite. I love Chris Paul. He is my favorite player to watch. Like, the way that guy orchestrates an offense and just finds shooters and just is like money from the mid-range and the pick and roll. And just, I, I just really enjoy watching that guy play. And I was pretty bummed uh, a couple years ago when th- that game where Josh Smith went nuts in the uh, fourth quarter when the Clippers were this close to making the conference finals and it's it's a bummer that that he's never reached that far and I'm I'm very interested to see how uh how he and Harden mesh this year because on paper that doesn't seem like a good fit but I am so 
I just love both of those guys' IQ levels that I, I just I can't wait to watch it. But yeah, Chris Paul is my favorite player. It's not in the Sixers. Yeah, I mean I'm a I'm a Chris Paul guy as well. Um, I'm not sure he would be my favorite. You know, I, I think when I thought of this question, I probably just took out the you know really elite players like yeah. the LeBron and the KD and Chris Paul. Like Steph, everybody yeah. would say that, right? Um, but Chris Paul, I've definitely I'm definitely very very hard on the pro Chris Paul bandwagon. You know, I think I think this is kind of half cheating, but Andre Iguodala has always been one of my absolute yeah. favorite players. Uh, just he's almost in some ways a Chris Paul of defense. The way he is prepared for a game and prepared for his opponent and the work that he puts in in, in getting to that spot, it really is he is everything you would want in a perimeter defender. And for him to put that all and so many times you see guys with wasted tools, wasted athleticism, wasted you know, length and, and body type, and he really made the most of it, and it was great to watch. It's nice that he finally got the recognition when he left Philadelphia. I wish he would have gotten it a little bit more here. It does seem like, you know, public opinion is kind of starting to sway back into a pro Iguodala uh, light, and I wish that would have happened when he was here, but he's he, he's kind of the guy that immediately came to mind for me just because, and again, it's half cheating because he has such a connection here, but uh, he really is the type of, of player that I enjoy. It is cool to see, after all the years we spent arguing about his value, uh, for him to have such a great second act of his career and be on a juggernaut. And I mean, because we always used to say, oh, man, he'd be so much better if he was just like the second scoring option. If you had a, a better scorer with him, it didn't even have to be necessarily a better player. And, you know, we were like, let's let's see what happens as soon as he leaves and he goes to Denver like, now he'll be the second option on the team. Well, well, he found his way onto a juggernaut where he's pretty much the fifth option, and it's the greatest team of all time. So that's definitely been cool to see. As far as, like, least favorite players, I, I know he's had a tough week, but Carmelo doesn't really do it for me. But, you know, in general, it's, it's funny. It, this is such a good era of NBA basketball. There's not a lot of guys that I, like, super don't enjoy watching. Which is good to see. Yeah, I mean the guy, and this is not for on-court reasons at all because I love the way he plays. But Draymond Green has always rubbed me the wrong way, <laughs> uh, and it's not really even because of the nut kick saga, although not 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 a fan of that. Um, but it's some of the tweets he made when he was at Michigan State, and really had a, a problem with acceptance. And I have a very big problem with people. Uh, who are are not accepting and are intolerant, and some of the tweets. And look, maybe he's grown up in the last five to six years. I I hope he did. I hope he did. But I have a I have a real hard time rooting for guys who made some of the comments that he did. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to get too deep into that, but um, yeah, just always I've always had a hard time rooting for him because of that. And like I said, I hope that Draymond Green has matured and changed, but that's always been one thing that's kind of just set me off. Like I, it, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And that's another positive for CP3. As much as people hate his on-court demeanor and that, that he can be a little bit of an asshole to his teammates like when, when they're playing. Great yeah. guy off the court. All right. Uh, I think that's pretty much it on the questions that we have. Anything, uh, any answer you want to change while we're, we're still on the podcast? Any that you've been thinking about the whole time that you thought, eh, maybe that wasn't right? Yeah, you know what? I mean, the more we talked about Embiid, maybe as far as the uh, the figure it out question when that happens, like I'm sooner. I, yeah, I'm thinking maybe like yeah, like mid December now. I've uh, 
yeah, I've, I've convinced myself that that JoJo's too good and he's going to be healthy. So, yeah, I think I think I am generally cautious in terms of when they'll really figure it out. So I think I'm I'm conservative in my answer. There certainly is. I mean, if Embiid's healthy and he's he's good, then I have no reason to believe he won't be good if he's healthy. He's going to make that team competitive. You just hope that he's playing, you know, sixty percent of the minutes and. Who knows if that's going to be the case? Uh, yeah, they could. It's a it's a soft schedule. All right, I think it's probably a good point to cut it off. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. My apologies if we didn't get to yours. I got more than I was expecting. Uh, but thanks for jumping on, Rich, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, see you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 